0: I think I showed you this picture that I took of a stall at my work. Do you remember this? Did I show you this?
1: Yeah, the tiny stall, right?
0: Well, there's a stall in the men's bathroom that has both a toilet and a urinal in the same stall. So So it's like a a big,
1: like handicap sized space stall
0: with no handicap bars.
1: But it's not a handicap stall. It just is a giant stall with a toilet and a tiny urinal.
0: And I question my question to you too is: even if it was a handicap stall, what person in a wheelchair would want to use a urinal? Well,
1: the whole point is that they can't, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's it is literally the most superfluous Mm -hmm. thing I've ever seen in my life. You know. It's almost enough to become like a like a saying, like that's as useless as a urinal in a handicap stall, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I took a picture of it, Mm -hmm. and with the idea that I was going to like tweet it or put on my Facebook page or whatever, and I get this picture, and I go to tweet about it, and then I immediately get this overwhelming fear that. I'm going to get in trouble. Like, my job is going to find it on social media. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's going to be deemed as, like, inappropriate. Like, that's an inappropriate tweet for one of our employees to send out. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a clean stall, right? I'm not, like, there's nothing objectionable in in the um, picture.
1: Yeah, see, my first thought would have been... Not that my work would see getting in trouble, but so, but that someone would be like, "Hey, dummy, that's there for this reason," like way to be super insensitive.
0: You know what I mean? Well, I guess I guess my my rebuttal to that is, I think I exhausted every reason in my mind. Sure, before I, that's just where I, I right.
1: even though even no, I would still have my myself convinced. There's no way that this is insulting. I would still like my finger would be hovering and it'd be like my, someone's
0: I'm missing something here. My finger hovered and I never sent it. Yeah. And ever since not sending it, I've been kind of like, why is it, is it really as bad? Like I could never pinpoint what my fear was, but is maybe like maybe employees shouldn't be posting pictures of our bathrooms. Like, is that, is that a valid fear or am I overly sensitive other than, than your specific fear Just being revealed to be a moron. Yeah, I don't know. I
1: don't know. It's 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 weird because it's like if I were the boss, right? And someone was like, Hey, Keith just tweeted this picture of our bathroom, I would just be like, who cares? (laughs) Right? But it's like I'm not the boss. Mm -hmm. And the people that are the boss are their mindsets are so different than mine, it's like I don't know what they're thinking, right? Who knows? It's, it's, it's almost, it's kind of like, it's almost, it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of closely related to something we'll talk about later in the show, but it's, it's just this kind of this mindset of like, I don't know, like it's different. So it's bad. You know what I mean? Like, I I think like maybe your boss or some, someone of the bosses would see it and not get the joke. So they would right. immediately think that it's bad. Or that it's inappropriate, you know what I
0: mean? Right. Yep. That's what I was thinking. And then in terms of what it could possibly be, I just imagine like a very wealthy or smart person at the job, like having broken his leg or something, but literally not being able to pee, like sitting down, Mm -hmm. and he like demands that they install urinal that he Mm -hmm. can wheel his wheelchair in and pee until his his (laughs) leg mends. Right. That's the only like, and a, it's just, like
1: a rainbow stream of pee from his wheelchair. You mean?
0: Because <laughs> he can't. He's like, I can't pee sitting down. <laughs> right. You need to put a ur, a urinal in there. Right. 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 Or maybe you could just prop himself up and just hang on to the wall. While yeah. There. Well,
1: is it is it an outside stall or is it like on the other side of that urinal? Is there another toilet? Oh no! Yeah it's a, it's an enclosed stall. And it's the only stall in the bathroom?
0: No, there's one, like, little cubby stall with another Uh toilet, like a normal one. Right. Next to that is where the handicap stall would be, Mm -hmm. except it has a toilet and a urinal. And it's in the corner. No, it's like... So it's on the outside. Yeah, and then on the outside are just the rest of the urinals. That's what I'm saying. But, but, But it's closed off by walls. Yeah. It's enclosed. Maybe they just made a mistake.
1: They're just like... We measured this wrong. Now we're going to send these stall walls back. I just put them up. Who cares? You know
0: what I mean? Leave it. No one will notice. (laughs) No one's going to. Well, I noticed. (laughs) We're really going to confuse somebody in 10 years. Yeah. Has anybody
1: else in the office noticed it? Have you brought it to anybody else's attention? I haven't. I was
0: through social media. That was my big plan.
1: You need to ask somebody else about
0: it. Yeah. I I was going to talk to my boss about it, but I don't even know if he noticed. Uh,
1: Well, that's, uh, yeah. This is Everything is Interesting, our monthly podcast about whatever we want it to be about. My name is Justin Blizzard, and I'm here with Keith, uh, confused by the small urinal Krepko.
0: By the urinal toilet combo. Right, true. Stall Krepko, thank you.
1: Uh, is it and so, oh, and all the other urinals are regular size. So it's like regular. So it's like, how many urinals are there outside of the miniature one?
0: No, it, two, one, three. See, I don't know if I've explained it correctly to you because it's not that it's like smaller,
1: right? Like, it's just that it's included with right, the. Right. I mean, that looks tiny to me. It looks
0: like a tiny urinal to me. Well, yeah, I, I think part of its perspective, like the toilet, looks kind of small too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of it, to, to me. It's just the fact that both are
1: no, I get it, I
0: get it in the same stall. Why? No, I and then, and then outside that, yeah, they're like three urinals, right? On the outside. So that's what I'm saying. Maybe they just mis- they just mis measured it, measured it. But once you're putting up the wall. Yeah, who working in a men's bathroom <laughs> puts puts the wall and looks over and goes, oh, there's a urinal. Let's continue to put this wall up. That's what I'm saying, though. Like,
1: in order to not do that, they would have then had to, like, reorder the supplies. The, they would have had, because the, the stall closes, right? There's a door to it that closes. That's all measured. And they were, they were like, they were, like, they're looking at it and they're, like, Like, we either put this up and include this urinal with the toilet and just say, screw it. Or we send these walls back and get an order a different size.
0: Well, look, if you're a future contractor, yeah. put a sign up there. You know, just explain <laughs> what happened. Just yeah. embed it in the wall and just say this was a mistake of ordering. Right. We weren't gonna order another, you know, wall. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. All right. Well,
1: today we're we're uh, we're changing things up a little bit. We're going to talk about three things in our main segment. We're going to talk about a movie called The Babadook that we both watched a few months ago. We're going to talk about the documentary uh, series called The Staircase. Uh, And included in that, we're going to talk about Serial, the podcast Serial that everyone knows about and we're also going to talk about the magicians i don't even know what's called the magicians trilogy i
0: guess the magicians land that was the first was the right? third one
1: that was the third one the first one was the magician the king the second one was the magicians right
0: no i thought the first one was the magicians Second one was The Magician King. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. And third was Magician's Land. Either
1: way, we're talking about the Lev Grossman trilogy of magicians books. And they all have magicians in the title. <laughs> um, and then I think from then we'll just go into recommendations that will probably take up all of our time. We'll just go into recommendations. We'll talk about last show's recommendation, which was a short story called The Plagiarist. And um, and we'll uh, we'll close on that. But first, we will get into The Babadook. Um, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right, so let's start by, well, let's start, I'll start by saying it's, it's been a month, since our last episode and it appears that the monthly schedule is pretty much the only one we can stick to. Right. Yeah. And it always end up it's, and I'm sure it's my fault more than anything just because, uh, I guess I'm just not interested enough to talk about some of the things we see, but it's like everything we've promised to see at the end of an episode and then talk about always ends up being like, not that interesting. I feel like, um, one of those is Babadook, which I know we talked about, which we will talk about today, but the other, the last, the one we talked about in the last episode was the guest, which we then both watched, but like, I didn't really think, right. It's like one of these movies, it was way super hyped. And then I watched it and it was just was kind of like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why people are hyping this up so much. Right. So it was kind of like, I think I lost interest in talking about it. So all of that to say there have been a lot of those things throughout the course of 2014, um, you know, since we started the podcast. So today we're going to talk about a handful of those things. The Duke being one of them, um, which is, it's an Australian movie, right? Yeah. From a woman director. It's her first time directing movie. Jennifer Kent. Jennifer Kent. Um, and again, it was one of those movies that like, the way it came to me is like, here's this horror movie, it's terrifying and it's great and you need to see it. And so we watched it. I think we watched it together, right? Because it was, yeah, yeah, it was only only available on direct (laughs) TV. So we watched it and it was like, I'll say this, I do... After seeing it, think it's a great movie, but I definitely don't think it's scary, really at all. Um, and so that was kind of like a disappointment for me. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was expecting and wanting like a really fun, scary horror movie. When in reality, it just is like it's a great movie. But it's, um, it's a lot, more, I feel like it's a lot more thought provoking and a lot more kind of like honest and relatable than any horror movie could be.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And so it was like, I, I so after watching it initially, I was disappointed, right? Because I felt like it wasn't scary at it all. It wasn't
0: scary, right?
1: Um, but then, you know, listening to other people talk about it, thinking about it more and realizing how much I relate to it and how much like the message of the movie sort of like speaks to me and I can relate to, it's like I like it a lot, Yeah. right? Um, so what did you, what were your feelings of the movie? Like did you think it was, I think for me the biggest question is, I've heard so many people describe this movie as terrifying, right? Yeah, like the, William Friedkin. That's what I was going to say. R- William Friedkin describes it as the scariest movie ever, ever, right? The guy
0: who made The Exorcist. Yeah. So did were you, like, did you find it scary? No, and, and I feel like I had the exact same reaction as you. The first time that we watched it together, I walked out liking the film and connecting with, a lot of other things other than the than the scare factor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of of the film, the scene that got me was in the first like ten minutes. There's a scene where uh, the the mother uh, who's played by S.C. Davis is laying in bed, and her son comes to lay in bed with her, and then Jennifer Kent like does like three quick cuts. Like one is like his foot like kicking hers. Then it's, like, him, like, moving in her bed and, like, waking her up. And then it's, like, him, like, grinding his teeth. And I'm, like, this lady has slept with a small child. Like, she gets it, you know? She knows what it's like to lay next to somebody who's four. Or he's not four. He's older. But, you know, a young child who is, you know, just not able to sit still and is moving you out of you know, your spot and keeping you awake and annoying you, you know? And that really got me. But I remember waiting to be scared and not really being scared. And then I went and watched it with my wife a a while later. And she really liked it. And I really liked it the second time. Mm -hmm. And I actually went on Letterboxd and wrote a little review and, and got to talking to somebody else who's like, not scary, two stars, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... I think it's expectation that ruins this film. And that yeah. was right after William Friedkin said his thing. And I commented to them. I was like, do you think it's just based on the fact that you thought this would be scary? And it wasn't that made you not like it? Because it has a whole lot going on if you actually think about it in terms of grief, depression, parenting, right? Single parenting. Um, it's it's like rich in that area. Not so much in the scares, but I don't think it needs to be.
1: Right. No, I agree totally. And there were a couple moments that I was kind of creeped out with towards the beginning with the book and stuff like that. But once I did key in on the... Once I had the realization that this is a movie about... For me, a movie about depression. It no longer became scary because it's like... Okay, I, I I get the the metaphor, and now I'm 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 just I'm so intrigued by the metaphor, right? That the sort of scariness of it is is taken away. But with that being said, the um the I, I want to talk a little bit about the the grief and the depression aspect of it. But the reason I think that all of that works so well, and I guess it's kind of a double edged sword because. I feel like the the sort of mental illness metaphor of the movie, the, me- the mental illness message of the movie works so well is because it's never once addressed, right? It's always, it, it's never addressed directly, right? It's always um, cased in the Babadook, right? It's always cased in this sort of very, pot boilery horror movie plot cliche or right you yeah, know what i mean it's line. like mm-hmm. like the movie the movie never uh, behaves i guess as if it's not a sort of run of the mill horror movie but in reality it's this really sort of smart and intricate and touching metaphor for mental illness for me it was depression. Other people, um, you know, uh, on the Slash film cast, for them it was grief, which for me, I think there's a very distinct difference between grief and depression. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the movie was more about depression than it was grief. I feel like, um, I, and, you know, based on your interpretation, I feel like it can go either way. But for me, I feel like the 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 grief um that she's that she experienced from the loss of her husband from her husband dying then morphed into a depression that is what the baba Duke was and so that's what you see her trying to control I don't feel like grief is you know at the end of the movie at the end of the movie uh spoiler alert the <laughs> baba Duke is kept in the basement right mm-hmm And I don't feel like grief is something that you have to lock away, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like depression is something that you do have to lock away. Mm -hmm. Grief is something that you live with every single day. It never goes away, Right. right? It's always kind of there. There's a very sort of, there's a very distinct cause for your grief, right? In this case, it's her husband dying. right. Whereas depression is kind of, it's nebulous, right? It's like, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know how to control it. You don't know, you know what I mean? It's just is like, you can guess on a lot of it, but then it can just randomly pop up for no reason, which I feel like is what the Babadook is in this movie.
0: Yeah, and I feel like there's something to, <clears throat> if you're just taking analogies very literally where grief i mean isn't the idea to like let grief loose like to feel grief and to let it kind of wash over you Mm -hmm. whereas depression is something that you always wanting to battle because the idea is if you succumb to 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 depression that that's where really bad things can happen whereas grief is something that could be something that's overwhelming, but could also be something that's like kind of cleansing or you cathartic. know. To just, yeah, yeah, you know, cathartic. And it's not like it goes away, but I guess I would agree if, if we are taking it very literally that a monster is a better representation of depression. Yeah. Right. Grief would be some kind of hybrid, right? It would right. be some kind of <laughs> yeah. uh I, I, I the, the first genre that came to my mind is not funny and not what I want <laughs> right. to re- represent, so I'm not going to say that. But uh, but yeah, it seems like it's. I, I guess I could agree. Didn't I mean? Didn't somebody on slash film also say like alcohol, like it, it right, substance like, abuse was what they right, like, took it like drug
1: addiction? Yeah,
0: I I think I think there's a certain element of the film that's like it reveals more about you than it. But exactly. But 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 no. I'd agree with your with your point that it's it'd be more about depression in my mind.
1: Yeah, and, and like I said, I think that's what makes it so great is that. It's, it's, it never, you know what I mean? There's never, the movie doesn't end with, with her being like.
0: Mommy's depression is now kept at base, son. It's okay. Exactly. Right.
1: Like the, the, I don't know if the word depression is even said Mentioned. in the movie. Right. right. Uh, and that's what, that's why it works so well is because like I said, it's, it is treated like just a standard horror movie throughout. Um, But then it's at the same time you get that little bit of disappointment where you're like it's not it's not really a horror movie it's not really a, it doesn't really work as a horror movie I guess for me it didn't at least And so that's what made me feel somewhat disappointed about it but at, but at the end like I said thinking about it more and then and then and then realizing like this is this woman's first movie yeah I just, it just it, it was really good I liked it a lot
0: yeah I think it's my top four of the year on, on yeah. my letterbox to count.
1: Yeah. And one thing that we noticed while watching it, I remember us talking about this, that maybe um, maybe this is like an Australian thing. That like this is just how the Australian houses are, right? But you remember how everything on the, the inside house? of their house is like blue? Oh, right? oh yeah. Like like you go in the living room and like the walls are painted blue and then like all of their furniture is blue. Like, everything is blue, and then you go in a different room, and, like, everything is white. Like, literally everything in the room <laughs> is white. It just was, like, a weird set design that I don't know that's, like... Is that, like... Is that just, like, how Australians decorate their house? Or is that also supposed to be, like... Is that part of, a, like, the metaphor, right? Yeah. Is it just, like, everything is, is gray and um, sort of dark because... It's monochrome. representing her her mindset, her right, mindset, or where yeah. her mind is at.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'd have to probably watch again with that in mind. I remember commenting on it, but then I think the second time that I watched it was <clears throat> to me felt like the first time. Like I was still connecting so much with the story, and I think that's a sign of a good film. Is upon rewatch, you're not like. Uh, let me let me focus on what the weather was like when they were filming these scenes because yeah. you're just looking for something to be interested in because you know you know what's coming yeah. with, with the Boba Duke, I think I would still really invest in the story but um <clears throat> yeah, good, yeah, great film
1: yeah, the Bob Duke really good. I don't know how it's available now, but it's I would recommend it with the caveat of like don't go it's in out a horror, horror movie. yeah.
0: Yeah. I I I remember there's a a film critic on box that I talked about quickly, and I was like, I wonder if you could do a piece that would like examine these blurbs that you know people give filmmakers give mm-hmm. about other films like that, and the impact they have on expectation because it has to hurt. The end result has to be kind of maybe potentially harmful because people are going to walk out saying, right. okay, at least I saw this film, but. It was not scary, and I hated it, you yeah,, know,
1: yeah, all right, so let's um move on to the staircase slash cereal, but before we do, I'm just going to mention that i turn you might start hearing a humming in the background because I turned the heater on in my house because mm-hmm. it's like literally fifteen degrees outside right now, <laughs> and I was starting to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like my freeze. teeth were starting to clatter, as so I figured it'd be better to have the hum of our heater in the background than for me to sound like a bad like Halloween skeleton <laughs> while I'm trying to talk about things. And now I'm here with v- the Babadook. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, oh my gosh! And now my 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 windscreen keeps falling down. Okay, so the big uh the big phenomena of 2014 or at least the like last quarter of 2014 was serial right the creators of that talked a lot i can't remember if it's in the actual podcast or if it was in like interviews or whatever but they talked a lot about a documentary that they were inspired by called the staircase it's on youtube which i'm sure is not legal right but like no
0: no a lot of times it
1: I mean, I mean, look—it's uploaded by some random guy. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. not like Sundance's YouTube channel. But I typed in the staircase to see how I could watch it, and the very first thing that came up was this YouTube link
0: to a playlist of all the things. So I was just like, "All right, well," and and it wasn't like a video of the guy recording it on his. No, television. it's the straight
1: up documentary, <laughs> giving right? his
0: commentary.
1: So it's on Sundance. So so the staircase—it's an eight-part. Well, t- technically, it's a 10-part documentary. The parts are 45 to 50 minutes long. So you're looking at um, six to eight hours total of watching it. But like I said, it's, it's, it's the proto-serial. So it's about the Michael Peterson trial, which, um, it, you know, his wife uh, died in the house. No one knows how. Right? That's, that's the basic premise. You watched it a long time ago. You said you watched it when it first came out, mm-hmm. which was, oh, I don't know when. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And you haven't seen it since.
0: No, I, I re-watched the first episode when right. was going on. because I was like, I think I watched this. And then after seeing him with his pipe walk around his house, I was right. like, oh, yeah, I, I definitely saw this. I remember this guy. I, rem- I can't forget him. Pipe smoking.
1: So I wanted to sort of use... So I wanted to first of all recommend that everybody go watch that, The Staircase. It's it's just a super good. Um, and then there's all these other tie-ins to it, like the like the criminal podcast that we were talking about. So there's like this crazy theory involving owls and what could have happened in the murder that I won't go into. So if you're listening to this, you can look into all that stuff.
0: The criminal podcast. It's one of the first ones, too.
1: Yeah, it's the very first episode, actually, yeah, of the yeah, criminal podcast. Yeah. But let's talk about serial for a little bit. Um, just sort of, I guess, what was your? I, 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 let's say this: a few weeks removed, right from the show. The show's been over for a few weeks. There's been a lot of um, supplemental stuff going on with different interviews um, on different websites. But a few weeks removed, how do you feel about serial? Do you find yourself Still thinking about it? Uh, Has it affected you in any
0: way? I, I have no delusions of grandeur or that my, I'm going to have any more insight than Sarah Koenig mm-hmm. or, or whoever else. So I actually am one of those people who I let the information come to me. I'm not one of those people who's like actively on Reddit and like reading up and like <clears throat> researching and wanting to find out more. I'm more of like, when she comes up with something worth talking about, she'll let me know, or somebody else will. Like the Jay interview if on something gains enough traction, right? Right on the Intercept, you know, I'll I'll read that and and stuff. So, <clears throat> I mean, since then, it's not like I've been exposed to any more bombshells. But after reading Jay, after listening to some people, after reading a few articles. I, my idea has not shifted from I mean, I, I'm not going to say like first episode or whatever because I went in with an open mind but once all the facts were laid out of saying Adnan had to be involved in some way, shape or form, he had to be involved and um, there's not enough there to convict him, I don't think I agree with Sarah Ko- Koenig on that but There's no way he's as innocent as he's protesting himself to be. In my mind, it's nearly impossible. Yeah. What about you?
1: Yeah, I I agree. I I think um, I I pretty much agree. You know, Sarah Koenig um, ended the podcast by saying basically there's no way I think there's enough evidence to convict. And on most days, if you ask me, I'm going to say he's innocent. And I feel like I agree with that, except for, I would say, on most days, I think he's guilty. But I in no way think there's enough evidence to convict him of the crime.
0: What, one thing that I struggle with is th- the fact that <clears throat> if you get down to the bare bones of the case, right... I feel like a lot of details are used by both sides to obfuscate, you know, the truth. So either side, you can get caught up in details, whether it's, yeah, you know, Adnan being like, I cannot make it from school to this, you know, parking lot after, you know, in the time that I would have had to. And then Sarah goes and does it like, oh, you can, you know, it's like, well, well, I couldn't if I, you know, and it's yeah. like, it's, it's endless, and it's that stuff isn't helpful. But if you get down, like, what are we really talking about, right? We're talking about two guys. One of them confessed to being an accessory to the murder, right? Led the police to the car that was used to transport the body. Mm-hmm. And the other one who is basically saying he has literally no recollection of anything Mm -hmm. in that time frame. Nothing at all, you know? And to me, I'm like, there's no third party. There's no, like, well, Jay, you know, hated Adnan. And, you know, none of that came up at all. You're still dealing with that basic fact. It's one of these two, you know? Right. And one of them is acting like he didn't even know Like a murder had occurred. Like he's like, it still seems a little shell shocked at like what happened. You know, it's like, no man, you dated this girl for a while. She was murdered, and you knew the only other person who's confessing to doing this. Like you can't just come at that with, I don't know, I don't know anything. Yeah, and 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 and
1: yeah, and his defense is basically. It was just a normal day. What would you remember about a normal day? And the, my first response to that is basically like, well, first of all, it wasn't a normal day because your, your girlfriend or your ex-girlfriend disappeared. And the cops called you on that very day and said, your ex-girlfriend has disappeared and we want to talk to you about it. Like that takes it out of the normal day realm, right? And to bring it back to The Staircase and some other uh, documentaries that I end up watching afterwards, like um, Murder on a Sunday Morning, some of the West Memphis stuff, Uh, Peterson remembers very clearly that night, right? From The Staircase. From The Staircase. Even though up until a point it was a normal day he still remembers that, day. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The 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 um Brenton from from uh Murder on a Sunday Morning remembers that very normal day like You've got to do better than just
0: I don't remember. You well, know what I mean? It just doesn't work. Well, yeah, I heard somebody say the the problem that everybody has with Jay's story is how much that he that he altered it, right? But some of those key facts still stayed the same, mm-hmm. you know? Seeing Hayes' body in the trunk of a car, whether he's at the Best Buy parking lot, his grandmother's house, or whatever, right? And they were like, I think people are getting too caught up in the fact that Jay's story changed throughout time, especially, you know, he's a teenager, whatever. Um, but Adnan has never given a story, right? right? Like, yeah. like he's never even said anything. So you can't sit there and say, oh, Jay's a liar, Jay's a liar, Jay's a liar. And then Adnan gets to not say anything and be like, therefore, Adnan's telling the truth. Right. Like, Adnan hasn't even tried to tell a story, yeah. you know? And I thought that was interesting. It's like, yeah, I actually would probably give more credence to the person who... Told the story that kept changing a little bit, if some of the core facts of it were, were true, mm-hmm. versus the one who sits there and says, I don't know anything, and uh, believe me, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um and and just to to the something that I kind of felt with this with with serial, and I wonder if you felt the same way. And I, I certainly feel it now, having seen the staircase, having seen kind of the source material. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I, was, I was just mesmerized by the staircase. Yeah. Whereas with Serial, I want to say around episode... After episode seven. The Innocent Project? I it? can't remember which one I, I think it was the one right it was the one before right before they interviewed Jay or okay. right before they had the you know we went to Jay's house episode it was either that or it was the one where they're like now we're going to address the Nisha call right at some point kind of halfway through the series it just really lost steam for me and it was just was like I felt like they just kind of, ran out of material, right? And it really felt like the last half of the series could have been condensed into one or two episodes. Um, and so I kind of just... And I didn't see a lot of people expressing that opinion. It just kind of felt like... Um, and I think you mentioned that, this, that the AV Club people had talked about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but it kind of felt for me like it reached a point where it was kind of like we've presented to you, I guess it kind of felt to, to a point where it was like, I think they, they got to the, they finished all the episodes where they had all of their like prepared information. And then the rest was kind of like, and then this is all the stuff we've discovered since we started doing, since we've given you all this other work, you know what I mean? And all of that stuff kind of felt like, I think what it was, which is just kind of like, superfluous. You know what I mean? Like, like at, at, in the last episode or the second to last episode, they're interviewing the guy that Jay worked with at the porno yeah. store. Yeah. And he's just like blowing steam up their asses. Basically. Right. Like he's just like reiterating, reiterating everything that's already been on the podcast. And then he's acting like, and then he says something like, Oh yeah. I think, uh, his name was Adnan or something like that. It's <laughs> like, he has one of those moments where it's like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. You you think that's what his name is? You think that this is the fact that I'm sure you are very well aware. You know what I mean? It's just right. like it felt so unnecessary.
0: Ad rock. <laughs> yeah. I'd jump. Did
1: it did it lose steam for you at all, or like, um, or were you just never that high on it to begin <laughs> with? I mean, it really turned into like of uh, like sledgehammer of a. Event, you know what I mean? Like people were, everyone was talking about cereal.
0: Yeah, I looked forward to every episode. Yeah, in my mind, out of the ten that they did, there are two that they did, did they, twelve. Did they do twelve? Yeah. See? Oh, well, you know what's funny that I said that. I was going to say out of all the ones that they did, two stood out as like kind of clunkers. Like, yeah, they really didn't have anything. I thought it was interesting. It made me think, I wonder if she thought by doing the podcast that it might turn up some stones and stuff. Like so it really was like a maybe week to week she was like, you know, like taking phone calls to the very last second, like, what do you got for me? Yeah. You know? Um, and it definitely felt like that on some on some of them. And yeah, the episode where she talked to his old coworker was like unnecessary. That could have just been a footnote that she mentioned. Like, right. so I talked to his old coworker; he had nothing new to say. Right? Yeah, he's you know, full moving of crap, on, basically. But I, I also, I like the end episode. Do you wish that they would have given a little more time, or do you think they could have given more time to, like, kind of playing out some more scenarios? Like, she, she talked about. She's like, believe me, we have played every scenario, like behind closed doors. And I was like, I maybe would have liked to hear one of not <coughs> you coming at the end of it and being like, here's my final statement, but hearing some of those, like, here's the craziest thing we came up with. Here's well, something else. Well, that's kind of the thing. And that's
1: kind of the criticism of, of, of her work, right. Is that she was too pro Adnan. And to, to the first point, I feel like the problem is, like like you just said, you have the defend you have Adnan the defendant who literally does not have a story. Right. He has nothing to contribute except for the fact that he has nothing to contribute. You know what I mean? And then the other ha- half of the story is Jay, which that story is never consistent. So it's like, so what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Um, and so to the idea, and so then, so then you, you have this moment in one of the episodes where she's like, um, where she was like, someone came at us with this really crazy ad Adnan rumor that we couldn't corroborate. So we're not going to tell it to you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's 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 the guy saying I know something that you don't know and I'm not going to tell you. It's like, don't, don't either. Don't bring it up. It. Right. Or say, look, this is highly speculative, right. and we had literally no cooperation for this outside of the one person that told us. But here it is, right? right. And so that that might fall under the camp of like her trying to protect Adnan's image. Or or even
0: Jay's image, right? And that's
1: if you're, I think, prone to that thinking. But something that we agreed on before we started recording is, I think Sarah Koenig handled it extremely well, and I never felt like she was super biased in one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like you could always tell that she was kind of pro-Adnan. You know what I mean? But it never felt to me like she was just blindly ignoring things because she didn't want to believe them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, So that, you know, well, what do you think about, to close out the serial talk, what do you think about season two? There's been a lot of, there's obviously going to be a season two.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- this is, so here's, here's the danger. Number one, I don't see how anybody, I don't see how I could be Sarah Koenig and want, To do another murder investigation based on what she's faced post serial, just in how people are talking about her and serial and the investigation. Like it's almost like one of those things that there's no story that's gonna get as much traction as a good murder right kind of investigation. Yeah. Period. But at the same time. With all of that comes heightened scrutiny comes all the bad stuff that, that that comes along with which she's facing now with Jay coming out and like people going to Jay's house like I wouldn't want to be responsible for that either like mm-hmm. be the person who, who brought more attention to this that caused some wacko to go like film his house or potentially God forbid hurt him which is what mm-hmm. he's scared of happening
1: or his kids
0: or or his kids right like so I could see her being like I don't want anything to do with this. Now, what's the alternative then? Are we going to get a 10-part This American Life segment? Yeah. Not interested. I don't care. Like, you know, investigate this, you know, company polluting the waters in this town of Michigan. Like, okay, I mean, good good on you, but I don't see myself being like, Oh, I got to find out where the waste is going. You know, like what else could she could she do, you know? Like any other story I think falls into the realm of it's already happening. Like yeah. this American life is covering it, Radiolab is covering it. What other serialized story? Yeah. Could she I'll, could she tell us
1: You know, she's done a lot, you know, she's obviously done a lot of episodes of this American life. The one that I think is most popular and that comes to mind immediately is the Dr. Glimmer and Mr. Hyde I think it's called and it's about I can't remember exactly I know I listened to it but it's about the doctor who started working in a small town who replaced
0: yeah the previous the
1: previous doctor and they had this the same exact same name and the mm-hmm. previous doctor was like convicted of murder something like that yeah so that's something that could be interesting, but then there's another episode of This American Life, and I I don't know if there's a, if this was a Sarah Koenig story, but I feel like it was, but there's another episode of This American Life about the like, remember the one about the like, I think he was like a, he was like a, man, what was he? I think he was like a, he worked for the school system. He did something for the school system. And he just started like consolidating power and firing people yeah. and taking over their responsibilities. Yeah, I remember that one? You remember uh, that? I yes. and I thought that was really interesting. And I feel like that could be interesting for a multi part. That, but that's the thing; you just have to find. That's the thing, and I think that's what they are probably trying to do with the first season. You just have to find these characters who are so out there. That it just is unbelievable, right? Or there's that just their stories are naturally compelling, and I feel like that's probably what they're trying to do with Adnan. The problem is Adnan; he has a story, obviously, but he's not telling it, and he's not willing to tell it. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I I would be shocked. I'd be shocked if if she does another murder investigation.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's good. But but,
0: but she has to find something something interesting they can keep up a multi-week investigation like i don't even know if that if that doctor one could keep up that was really interesting right no yeah Mm. but it would be 12 weeks right yeah yeah all right
1: um moving on to our last topic we're going to talk about the magicians trilogy lev grossman wrote three books Um, the magicians the magician king and the magicians land Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's about uh a what starts out as a high school graduate college freshman quentin something or other uh who discovers he has magical powers and uh it, it, it was it's, it was basically compared to I think ye,
0: did you recommend it to me originally or yeah I I kind of feel like uh, I'd heard a lot about it it's gotten a lot of great right press. right but I think that you'd previous because I think what I mentioned to you like oh yeah 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 and then really quickly we we picked up and we both yeah. started reading it yeah
1: um so and it was kind of um. I remember the blurb and you're, we were talking about blurbs earlier. I remember the blurb for this was which is such a turn off this 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 blurb or recommendation is like Harry Potter for adults or something like right, that. Right? right. And it's kind of like, ugh, but yeah. I mean I guess that's kind of what it is. I never read Harry Potter, it's so, not, I don't, so it's I don't really not. Not at all. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> but it but the first book kind of is, right? Because he's at a magic school for most of the first Yeah, book.
0: sure. He's at a magic school and you know I mean, right off the bat, I can say one thing that I really, really like about this series is how it portrays magic. Yeah. I like the fact that magic is seen as, like, really hard work. Mm -hmm. It's seen as, like, an extension of the sciences. Um, And it's seen as being very, like, dangerous. You -hmm. know, if you really, really want to push in, like, you could kill yourself any second, you know, messing with this stuff. Yeah. Um, And... It's it's just a lot of hard work, and I really really like that, and appreciate that about the whole series, is that it's not just about like waving a stick, or even doing these. It's about understanding the principles of magic, and then being able to like harness them. You know, yeah. and I thought I thought he he conveyed that really really well. So, I mean, that's one thing that I really liked about it. But it's not it's not Harry, and I guess that's that's one thing. Art always suffers in comparison, right? Mm -hmm. It's its own story. Sure, it involves a a magical school, and so is Harry Potter. But literally, that's where they depart. Yeah. Uh,
1: So before we talk about the last book in the series, *The Magician's Land*, let's—I wanted to get you
0: just like a quick recap of what you felt of the first two books. Um. So the first book, I thought was interesting. Um, I didn't find it. Uh, you know, again, if we're going to compare Harry Potter, Harry Potter transported me into the world. The Magicians was a little harder for me to get wrapped up in, um, and I don't think that that's what Lev Grossman wanted to do as much. He wasn't trying to like build out a world and. Create a game called Quidditch, and you know, like like all this. Although there was a game, yeah, it was like a card game, yeah, yeah. It was like a
1: tiles game or something, right? There was
0: a game, and um, and and I I found Quentin to be kind of annoying. Of a of a of a yeah, that was the
1: biggest flaw of the series in general.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think. I think he was one of the biggest issues they had because in the second book, the second book drove me crazy. Yeah, because I feel, <coughs> I feel like all the action was driven by Quentin making the same mistake and being shocked at the same results every single time. Spoiler alert: the second one involves them jumping between the real world and this magical land called Fillory, and he finds it, has this ability to like open up these doors, and he's just like. <clears throat> walks through one one time, ends up in the real world. It's like crap, but gets back. Later on in the book, what does he do? Yeah, halfway through the book, a door opens. He walks yeah, through it again. The,
1: it, literally, the exact same thing happens, and you just start over halfway through the book. And it just is like the second book was was I hated the second book. Oh it man, was I couldn't
0: stand it. And I was like, Quentin is so stupid. Like, yeah. and that's not even his worst trait, right? Yeah. And the, and
1: yeah, the, the first book, the first book was, was good despite Quentin, right? Despite the main character. This, yeah. all of the stuff of them going to school was really interesting. Like you said, the magic sort of being treated as a science.
0: The, 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 the Chapman background of the, the right. children. The background. The background. Right. Hillary um, was interesting. Them,
1: um, it was in the first book where they, um, they transfer. They transformed into birds, right? And that passage still sticks with me. Like that was a great yeah. passage of them, um, just the way it's written and the like amount of description it goes into is, was really good. Um, but you, but it's still centered around this character who is just very selfish, very immature. He like said he's just. But has terrible decision-making skills, just stinks as a character. He's really not redeeming in any way at all. And ultimately, his actions at the end of that first book cause a very likable character to die, right? And it just is like, like, ugh. And then you get this second book, this guy who is still unlikable, and then you have this story that is kind of like meandering along, and is not very interesting. And then at some point it just resets and totally starts over. It's like the whole first half of the book is them trying to figure out how to get back into Fillory. And then literally they get into Fillory and he makes the exact same mistake he makes at the beginning of the book and goes back into the real world. And it's just as like, oh my gosh, like what? Yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, so that's the first two. And I think that was kind of the general consensus, too. I, I think a lot of readers were down on the second book. You know, like I said. Did you
0: feel, I, I, I mean, maybe I didn't research it enough. I felt like glowing reviews all the way
1: through. Yeah, no, the, now the critical praise has been the same throughout, okay. all, throughout all the books. But if you go onto, like, Amazon, the reader reviews for the second book are not very good. At least that's how I remember it. Yeah. Um, so then that brings us to the third book, The Magician's Land. And there hasn't really been a giant through line to the series, I guess, outside of the Chatwin family. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that wasn't a huge part of the second book. That's what I was going to say when we were going to talk about this before. I feel like the second book could have just been left out, right? Oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. this series is really just the, the first, first book and the last book. Yes. And I think it. It was probably some, and this is just purely speculative, of course, but probably just like, you know, trilogies are big, write a third one. We want three books, you know what I mean? Whereas he probably only had enough ideas for maybe one
0: really big book. Well, look, the 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 big cliffhanger was of the second book was him getting expelled from Fillory, right? Right. Then you get into the third book and you start realizing that his friends who are still in Fillory are trying to find a way to get him in. And that the gods, the the two gods of Fillory, it's basically arbitrary that he was kicked out anyway. Yeah. You know? And then towards the end, when the gods are kind of revealed to be kind of, you know, what they are, which is just kind of figureheads more than actual agents of power. Right. Towards the end, you have Quentin who's like, well, I don't want to be here anyway. You know, like he's kind of outgrown Fillory by then. And you're like, well then why why was I so wrapped up in him like, Oh, he's expelled from Fillory. and it's like he doesn't even care. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't care, number one. And number two, the gods that are supposed to be implementing it weren't able to because he gets back in and the third one he, mm-hmm. you know, pushes his way in. And then you realize like, Oh yeah, this was all arbitrary. This wasn't like, you know, if he goes in he dies. Yeah. It's just like, no, the gods just didn't want him there anymore. So he can't be there. Yeah. Ugh, I don't know. It, yeah. ru- it rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Yeah. So the third book, Magician's Land. Um, yeah. So it's about him trying to get back into Fillory. And
0: and again, which I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. But again, he gets involved with something without thinking it through or understanding all, right. all the way. Right. Yeah. He's like, what talking bird? You want me to go <laughs> steal something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: okay let's go do this thing right and it's like Quentin haven't you understood like consequences or that maybe not everybody has the best intentions so mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just like ask a few questions right but I feel like again Quentin gets involved with something they doesn't fully understand and you just no this is what I'm doing I'm I'm doing this uh, this heist
1: yeah yeah and I think I I really liked the th- the third book Um I'll say, I'll say, I I think this is a caveat that needs to be made. I read the first two books, right? I literally read them, read the pages with my eyeballs. (laughs) The third book I listened to while I was painting, right? So Mm. I'm doing this very monotonous task of painting a house, you know, and I'm just listening to the book. So to me... I don't know. To me, it felt like... For me, the, the book moved along quickly, right? And I felt like, unlike the first two books, there wasn't a lot of time spent with how much of a jerk Quentin was, because there was a lot of plot involved. There was a lot of going from here to here, and then doing this and this. You know what I mean? So... A lot of that stuff was kind of, uh, I don't know if it was there and I just didn't notice it because I wasn't like, I had the choice to kind of zone out if something was happening that I didn't <laughs> like. Yeah. Whereas before I would have had to actually read it to get through it. You know what I mean? But I really liked the third book.
0: Yeah. I, I liked it.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's on par with the first one. Right. Yeah. I and agree. I don't love them, but I think they're good books. Um, but I, like you said, I think the chat. I think the most interesting thing about this series is sort of the Chatwin um, backstory, right? Yeah. And I thought that was handled really well. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I wanted to ask you about was the something that really bothered me about the second book was the way it, it ended, and and they had this um, character of Julia who is the. The back the narrative is back and forth in the second book. It's Quentin and Julia. You're getting each side of their stories, and you're getting Julia's story of when Quentin was away. And then it ends, and this whole time Julia has been like despondent and nobody knows what happened, and but and then it ends with this like really graphic, terrible rape story of like what yeah. happened to Julia. Yeah. And it felt to me really. I guess, like exploitive and like unearned and just like unnecessary. And it was like, I remember, I don't remember the detail of it, but I remember feeling like it went too far into the
0: detail of it. Part of the problem, I think, was the way that he rolled it out. So in the second book, you have these flashbacks. Yeah. And it's like every Julia flashback ends with like a, and then to come, or where, right. you know, this kind of like foreboding, like, oh no, what's coming, what's coming, right? And then you get to the reveal, and you kind of secretly hope that an author's come up with something a little more, especially in a world of magic, right? That there's something new that somebody could have been, you know, exposed to. I had to take part of this black art where I had mm-hmm. to you know piece of my soul had to be given to keep this entity alive or I don't know whatever right oh that's horrible that's terrible and we need to help Yara get that back versus oh uh, she was raped yeah right that happens in our real world that happened. like yep that's yeah. that's her story and i and that's not to downplay the the effect and the horror of rape but when you're building up and building up and building up and you're reading the story yeah to then have like a Irreversible, you know, that film kind of like section cut in here, and you're like, oh, like, I don't know. I I was kind of hoping for a little more, like, a little more story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the reason I, I brought it up is because a very similar thing happens in the third book, but I felt like it was handled way better when you're, um, Someone is telling you about the the Chatwin backstory and part of their story is as kids, they went to this guy's house and was telling. Right. And then it's pretty heavily implied that the guy who wrote these children's books that their story was based on molested the oldest Martin. And that's why he became what he became. And it just you're basically talking about the same story arc. Right. Like. A terrible sexual act happened to this person, and then they became this weird evil person. And it in one case it works really well, I felt like, and in the other, it it doesn't for whatever reason. And and maybe part of that for me is the graphicness of the of Julia's account, whereas the Martin Chatwin account, it's, it's only alluded to, right? And, I mean, like I said, it's alluded to pretty heavily. Like, you're not going to misinterpret what he's suggesting, but it's still a suggestion, right? And there's still, like... I think there's... I think the, the mystery, for me, it makes it feel so much more uh, sort of, like, evil and so much more... uh affecting than if you start, like, going into these just gross details. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh,
1: so let's talk about, well, f- let's finish by talking about kind of maybe the most important part of any trilogy, I feel like, which is the end, right? Like, you want this huge amount of time that you've spent, that you've invested in any series to eventually build into something satisfying, right? Were you satisfied with the end of the trilogy? No. S- not at all. So the the end so the end is basically Fillory is dying and this giant war starts taking place within Fillory. Well,
0: yeah, Fillory starts crumbling and animals are turning against each other and things are coming alive and right. beasts and trees and and basically It's like everyone... It's like Fillory's eating itself. Right. And it's all. can you remember
1: why that's
0: happening? Because the gods are not willing to kill themselves. Right. That's right. Sacrifice themselves. That's right. One of them is. And one of them is not. Right. And Quentin breaks into the world and finds him, like, off on a little island, and he just can't kill himself. But, you know, these gods need to sacrifice themselves to bring in the new one. Right, so it's kind of
1: like an arbitrary cycle of like they find out the world was created by like a horse or something. I can't remember. (laughs) It was created by some animal. And then these two, what were they, sheep? No, they're rams, right? Rams,
0: now passed on to rams. Right, these two
1: rams were then sort of selected to be the gods, and now their time is up And they have to, in order for Fillory to continue on, they have to sacrifice themselves.
0: Right. And what what I found unsatisfying is, again, Quentin, you know, comes in and he helps facilitate the death of the two rams. And then he becomes the god Mm -hmm. and rebuilds. And then he immediately passes the god part, on and Fillory becomes a land with no God. Right. And that's like seen as like victory for all. Right. But I'm like seeing as Quentin is now the God that can live as a God of Fillory, but will eventually have to sacrifice himself Mm -hmm. is a satisfying, like fitting end. Right. It's both kind of, you know, triumphant and sad. And, horrifying a little bit right. right and i think kind of ties well, into and especially
1: for quentin's character who has been so selfish who exactly. has been so unable to make good decisions
0: exactly yeah and and you know people have died you know around him and right. partly because of him so now this is this is fitting right and then to arbitrarily have that reality be like oh no quentin just it just passed from him and now he's he's back to being like, you know, who he wants to be and he can go live his life how he wants in another magical land because he gets to create, then he gets to create his own world again. Like Quentin literally well, well, gets no, doesn't he- <laughs> every good thing that could right. possibly happen to him. It's just like an endless spoil of riches. Right. Get dumped on him. Doesn't he then go and
1: create his own world? But then it turns out that that world just leads back to Fillory, right? It's like an extension, yeah. Because the sofa
0: um, yeah. uh, horse or whatever, yeah, yeah that's shows right. up. Yeah, it's like, and, he, and it's
1: like, oh, we're, he didn't create a new one. He's still in Fillory,
0: right? But but it's his, it's his, right? Yeah. and he's like making a big deal, of like I don't want to go to Fillory right now. Let's explore right. this. And uh, yeah, to me, it was like, oh my God, like Lev Gross, did you fall in love with, like Are you, did you misread Quentin as like the perfect hero all the way through? Because I read him as far more conflicted, right. who deserved a far more conflicted ending, than literally it's like three great endings for Quentin, not one bad on a story that was like, ooh, this could end badly, this is interesting.
1: Yeah, and I remember listening to it. I remember feeling like it was kind of like just a cheap shot at religion. You know what I mean? Oh, to me, I just remember feeling like like this is he. This is purely just to be like things would be better without a god. Which fine, I I don't care if that's your opinion thought, but like. It doesn't work for this story that you just spent, you know, f- f- a thousand pages writing. And,
0: and it wasn't something that you were really addressing early on. Right, anyway. exactly. Like it, like it, yeah. Now, it, it did make me think of another trilogy. Have you read His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman? No. Um, Golden Compass. and that, that trilogy is one of the best trilogies in terms of literary fiction ever. Mm-hmm. Ever, ever, ever. And it is all about the death of God. It's all about kind of building up to this realization that Lev Grossman kind of tacks on. And it made me think of, of his dark materials and then get embarrassed for Lev Grossman. Because <laughs> I was like, Ugh, like read Philip Pullman. Like, that's how you do this. Yeah. You don't, in your last chapter, be like, by the way, this whole story was about God and religion. <laughs> and uh, it's better if he never existed. Yeah, it felt like a, it boom, like, drop felt like mic,
1: like, it felt like a bad Ricky Gervais joke, right? Right, <laughs> it's, right. Like, it's like you got to work it in there somewhere, right? Right.
0: Hey, uh, you like uh, the Office series? Well, guess
1: what? God's last unreal. episode. <laughs> yeah,
0: God's dead. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and yeah, the last thing I want to say about it is, it, yeah, the ending. Yes, the ending is on. Uh, I didn't care for. I, I like the ending in that all of the writing i felt like and all of the 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 visual the visualization that he's bringing into it like the visuals and the actual writing of what is happening in philory as it's being destroyed i love that and i thought yeah. it was great yeah. and the the actual writing of it is great and the imagery is great but yeah when when quentin i agree totally with all that stuff and also by doing that you're you're kind of removing the the I feel like you're removing the focus of the story from Quentin and putting it onto you're putting Fillery above all else, right? So now this story, these books have just become about this, and look, I understand it's a fictional book, it's all fictional, right? But it's become about this magical land that's not in important to anybody except for these six people in the book it's just like who cares about a magical world that these kids now get to live in for the rest of their lives and have no real consequence and has no like it has no bearing on anything you know what i mean it's like it, this is no longer like the the quentin we get on the last page of the book is the exact same quentin <laughs> as on the first page of the book yep. you know what has changed Fillory, yeah. right? The magical non-existent <laughs> wor- world is what has changed. Not your main character.
0: It's just it's kind of like two a weird choice. Two final thoughts really quickly. One, come back to Earth, guys. There's famine yeah. and there's cancer yeah. and there's disease. Like, let Fillery eat itself. And come back here and make this. A, you t- I'd like to live in a magical land. I think <laughs> all of us would. Yeah. So why not help us out a bit? All right. Number one. Number two. Are you going to watch the television series? <sighs> I'll probably check it out,
1: but oh yeah, I'll, I'll probably. I mean, and it's also it's a sci-fi series. It's like, has anybody ever watched the sci-fi series outside of? Battlestar Galactica, you know what I mean? Which, even then, it's like, I know a lot of people like that show, but, you know.
0: It's tough. Yeah, it's a little tough tough to get through. Yeah, tough sell. All
1: right, so that's it. It's enough. We've talked about enough. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back with our discussion on The Plagiarist. So the so last episode I rem- I recommended to you a short story that was recommended to me um, from a listener whose name is Rob. He is on Twitter at his his Twitter handle is at shiny underscore Rob, and he recommended the the story to me um, after listening to our leftovers podcast. But the story is called The Plagiarist. It's written by a guy whose name is... Hugh Howie. Hugh Howie. Um, and it's a short story that's available on, you know, Amazon. looks got Store, in the whatever. Nook for 99 cents. There you go. So what'd you think?
0: Uh, I thought it was really good. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a, it's a brilliant short story idea. Yeah. Um, which I think is 80% of the battle with short stories. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as, like, revelatory as maybe he intended it. I don't know how far ahead you saw the end coming. Pretty... Yeah, I saw it pretty...
1: Yeah. I want to say probably... I'll say this. I was not surprised by the ending at all. When,
0: when yeah. he was obsessed with this other world... Right. And when it was going on and on and on, really hammering it home, like... right. All his life is in this other world. I was like, he's in the same right. situation. Yeah. Like it's like, no, that was the ending that had to happen. Yeah. And I think that's the other side of like a satisfying ending that people have lost sight of in this world of lost and all that other stuff is like endings or like don't
1: underplaying your expectations. Right.
0: Yeah. Endings don't have to surprise you. If they make sense with the story that you've told and it is the best ending, yeah, go with it. Don't overthink or think yourself out of it or try and like, oh, we just need two more twists and then we've got it. You know, it's like, yeah. no, if it's a great idea that seemed like, yep, his world is going to end and he's stuck there. And that's a pretty profound like circle to close.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, I agree. I totally agree. I, re- I really love the story. And instead of you know going into detail about what the story was or about, I I would just recommend that you go to Amazon or whatever and pay ninety nine cents to read it. I mean, like I said, it's ninety nine cents. You can read it. What I did is I don't actually have a Kindle, but you can use the Kindle app, quote unquote, anywhere. So I read it on my like literally on my work computer. I just bought it and downloaded it to the Kindle app on my work computer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the plagiarist Hugh Howey.
0: I I love that he's a haiku, like a like famous haiku. Like I think that's really smart and funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He's a a (laughs) the character is a is a poet. Like right, he's the
0: Shakespeare of haiku. Just haikus. Just haikus. Yeah.
1: Um. All right. So do you have a? What's your recommendation?
0: Have you read the Lawnmower Man? No. Okay. Is that a short story? Yeah. It's. Not the movie, <laughs> the Lawnmower Man.
1: I I've never seen the movie. Don't. Is the Lawnmower Man movie the one with the?
0: Has to do with technology, I right? It's remember. like the computer head,
1: but that's not like. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the movie. All right, so the Lawnmower Man by Stephen King, I will read that.
0: It it deeply unsettled me, really? and 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 I'd love I'd love your take on it. Okay. All well, right. Well,
1: check it out. Um, but but that's it for this show. Uh, you can get any information on our show, any links for the stuff that we talked about uh, in the description uh, on our website, brownbluewhite.com. You can follow us on Twitter. The show is at brownbluewhite on Twitter. I I have a uh, I have to say at this point in my life <laughs> I have pretty much given up on all social media whatsoever. So I don't have Facebook. I don't use tw- I don't have Twitter on my phone anymore. I'm not looking at Twitter. <laughs> so I will give you my Twitter handle, but
0: you should give me your Reddit name. Yeah. You're active on Reddit, right?
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I lurk on Reddit more than anything. I don't really post very much. Outside of, like, boring, like, I have a problem. Somebody give me the answer things. But uh, um, I'll check in occasionally. On Twitter, I'm at Blizzard with nine Zs. Keith, you're on Twitter?
0: I'm on Twitter. What's the best
1: way to... to...
0: Add things come right. Okay. You'll get uh, some sporadic retweets. And, um, and some originals. Maybe you'll get a uh, tweet about the toilet stall. Yeah. You never know. If I can get over my phobia, someone builds fired. up the
1: courage. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, we'll be back in who knows? No a month, month no, right? No longer than a month. There a month go. at the least. We'll cobble something together in a month. If we don't have anything else. There's to look forward <laughs> to. A a cobbling
0: together. <laughs>